Hello everyone, and welcome to our brand new Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce Education Committee Network's inaugural PAC-14 TV show. It's entitled, Education is Everybody's Business. And yes, everybody. My name is Lad Colston, and I will be your host for today's program. Today we're going to focus on the critical education topic, we have a mental health crisis. Please note, I want to make sure we note this, that this TV show is being sponsored by the Community Foundation of the Eastern Shore, and we sincerely appreciate their generous support. Our executive director of the chamber, Bill Chambers, and our Education Committee Network want this TV show to be a source of community awareness and knowledge of topics that impact education and workforce development in our lower Eastern Shore communities. We appreciate your listening in and providing us with your feedback on its usefulness. This we want to hear from from you. On this broadcast, we have three local professionals that work directly with parents, families, and students regarding mental health issues. Since the beginning of COVID-19 and the social unrest that permeates our world today, mental health has become a national crisis with visible impact on our youth here on the Eastern Shore. Our three guests today bring a national, a regional, and a local perspective that we would like to share with you on this broadcast. So, as our first guest, let me introduce to all of you, Dr. Catherine Layton, who's a pediatrician uh, here locally at Title Health Peninsula Hospital here in Salisbury, Maryland, as well as the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Uh, you participated in our community forum that our Education Committee Network had on March the 31st of this year. Your presentation was well received and you focused on the area of COVID-19. So let's talk about how COVID-19 has impacted children and their mental health. Got a couple questions for you. The first one, in the community forum, you cited depression and anxiety occurring from health and stress levels of families and caregivers observed and experienced by children in their homes. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, yes, it's been a very difficult two and a half years for children in our community. Um, there's been a lot of stressors mm -hmm. that has been from social isolation, changes in their routine, difficulties in education, um, loss of loved ones, or even just loss of experiences. You know, things like the prom or their senior soccer season. Those have been very hard for children and adults. Um, so we've seen a significant increase in anxiety and depression in mm -hmm. the children in our community. Yeah, and we've found from the teachers, uh, a lot of the teachers have observed these same uh, symptoms, if you will. From a pediatrician perspective, 
what advice would you offer or suggest to families and even concerned community support personnel to help lower our mental health crisis here locally? What advice would you provide? Well, first we need to recognize mental health illness in our children. It's very common. Mm -hmm. About one in five children suffer from a mental health disorder. But the good news is it's treatable. It's treatable and it's more treatable when it's caught early. So it's really important to talk to our children, to take time to spend time with our children. Maybe that's a family dinner several times a week or taking time to talk to our kids when, when they're in the car with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I, I've noticed with a lot of families, they have shift work. And so oftentimes they're not there when the children come home from school. Uh, and by the time they come home from work, the kids are getting ready to go off to school. So a lot of times that time is not there. So we had a conversation and I understand that there are some new and currently available behavioral health support services that are accessible here on the Lower Shore, uh, including a national three-digit hotline like 911. Could you share some of these support services with our listening audience? That's exactly right. There's a new national suicide and, and crisis hotline. And it's just like 911. It's three numbers, easy to remember, and you can use it anywhere in the United States, and they'll help you find the local resources. And that number is 988. We need to remember that number and use it when necessary. 988. Everybody got that? 988. And I understand that there's some crisis centers here that have just, just opened up. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, it stems from the new legislation. And we have new crisis centers both in Berlin and in Salisbury um, affiliated with AGH and Tidal Health. These are like urgent care centers for mental health disorders. They're staffed by trained people and the services they provide will connect people with the resources they need. And it's an alternative to going to the emergency room, which everybody tends to do. Any crisis that occurs at home, they immediately go to the emergency room. Well, everyone, education is everybody's business. Check this out. There are alternatives. The Title Health Crisis Center, and when are they open? Are you? you Title Health Crisis Center is open Monday through Thursday, I believe, eight to five thirty. Okay, and for those in Worcester County, they can go to the uh, Berlin Crisis Center, and that mm -hmm. one is open Monday through Friday, um, I believe, similar hours. Great. Thank you, Dr. Layton. We appreciate your time and support. Now, we will move on to our second guest for this broadcast. Dr. Samantha Scott. She's a psychologist and a clinical director yes, with the Child and Family Center, both here in Salisbury mm -hmm. and in Eastern Maryland. Yeah. Um, in the community forum that you presented at, you provided our audience with some of your personal experiences uh, treating youth with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of those? Sure. So early on, I mean, now we're a couple years out, but looking back at the beginning of the pandemic, I think there was kind of this sigh of relief early on. Okay, we're all gonna be home for a couple of weeks. 
We're going to spend some time with our family. It's a little break. I think everyone felt okay. Mm -hmm. And then three, four weeks went by, and all of a sudden, this just wasn't ending. And then two, three months went by, and this was not ending and, in fact, getting worse. Um, so after a couple of months, I really started to see significant changes in mental health for children and teens, um, but also parents. Mm -hmm. Everyone was just on edge. Mm -hmm. So we had this constant state of fear and worry and uncertainty. Um, which really just led to anxiety. I mean, those are kind of the underlying principles of anxiety, but now we, it was constant. It was all day, every day. When is this gonna end? Am I gonna get sick? Is someone I love gonna get sick? And we as adults had all of that, and then our children felt that for sure, mm -hmm. um, and had their own fears and anxieties. Uh, so, you know, right off the jump, I saw big increases in anxiety, and then the more and more we were isolated, our depression statistics started going up too. Mm -hmm. um, so we saw rises in anxiety, depression, eating disorders became much more prevalent. Um, then we started seeing grief uh, from losing loved ones, but then also grief from missing out on things that we just couldn't do anymore. We've had children who miss their entire senior year of high school or those last um, sport sporting events that they had been playing their entire lives to compete in. Um, so really, it just started becoming a different type of pandemic. You know, we talk about the mental health crisis, and we saw it early on, um, but now it has just persisted. Okay. As a clinician <clears throat> who has worked with families and with students locally, mm -hmm. please share with us some of your observations of actual student behaviors that sure. you have witnessed. Right. So obviously mental health and academics go hand in hand. That's mm -hmm. always been the case. Um, so then we had a year of virtual learning. Um, one of the you know, biggest themes I, I think I like to share with people is the variability in how people responded to that. Mm -hmm. So you had variability in access. So we had some people who didn't even have internet access and didn't even know how to log on or um, complete virtual learning. So families who were very well versed in that and that was no problem or had extra help that could come help their children. Mm -hmm. um, you had families who had to make the decision to stay home from work because their kids were home and then you had all of this financial burden. Um, but specifically with academics, we had, I would say, you know, a subset of children who thrived. Mm -hmm. This is great. I'm an independent learner. I can do this on my own time. I only have to do school a couple hours a day. I get everything done and I can go play. Um, but for the majority of our children, I think they really struggled. And if you think about virtual learning, especially the way we did it early on, it's like sending a 10-year-old to college. Mm -hmm. You have to do all of this on your own. Mom and dad are working, maybe in the next room, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, and so you had a lot of kids that just kind of checked out. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to navigate completing assignments on their own. They didn't know how to even email a teacher if they didn't know what to do. Our teachers, bless their hearts, were thrown into this. Um, and didn't know how to support their kids virtually. Um, mm -hmm. You can't see, a lot of kids don't even turn on their screens, weren't even logging on, or came up with all kinds of f fun ways to get out of doing work <laughs> versus just doing it. Um, you know, so overall, I think we lost a significant amount of academic development. We have a lot of kids who are very behind academically. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes hand in hand with mental health. Um, so I think that's another, it's like a parallel crisis, but obviously they overlap. Yeah. We definitely have a new world out here. For sure. Uh, virtual and in-person and then a combination of the mm -hmm. two. Yes. Uh, tell us from a professional perspective, 
Uh, what recommendations would you have right. for addressing student disparities mm -hmm. and their unique needs uh, you have observed, especially in your clinical practice? Because you see this every day. Sure, yes. I think disparities is a great word. And I think at the forefront, we as a community need to recognize the great disparities that exist. Mm -hmm. So we have some children who are very behind in social skills because they did not have that as part of their development for a year and a half, two years. Um, don't know even how to reacclimate to being around hundreds of other children during the day. We have a lot of children who are very behind academically, and now we have a lot of children who have anxiety and depression and other mental health issues that just weren't there before. So I think recognizing that just because you have a third grade class does not mean all of those children are on an even playing field. Mm -hmm. And they never really were, but right. now the disparity is much greater. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that we can't assume that we're gonna go in there and start teaching a third grade class like we typically would have. I think we have to start figuring out where the disparities lie mm -hmm. so that everything's just gonna have to be more individualized, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so as we roll into a new school year, I think as parents, community members, teachers, we have to really support our teachers in helping identify children early on and figuring out where they are socially, academically, behaviorally, emotionally, so that we, we're just gonna have to tweak what we do. We can't just do a one-stop shop with everyone because they're in the same classroom. That's gonna really be a challenge. It's really gonna be a challenge. I think we need to start thinking outside the box how we can maybe bring extra people in outside so we have smaller groups or pull-out groups or extra um, remediational type learning for the kids who are more behind than others. I don't, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but yeah. as long as we're not assuming that all kids are where they're supposed to be, that's a good start. Well, I appreciate you coming in and making us aware, uh, all, all of us aware yep. of uh, what do we're gonna have to address moving forward. Yep, I'll say one more thing since you've sure. got me. Outside of the school, I think, this is also our chance to really capitalize on the emotional and behavioral functioning of our kids. Um, one of the positives from the pandemic is that mental health has really become, uh, you know, in the news and a forefront issue that people are recognizing is a real thing and doesn't have to have as much stigma behind it. This mm -hmm. has been a very challenging couple of years for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that by lessening the stigma, we're a little more apt to um, take care of our kids in that way, reach out for help. Even if you don't think your kid is horribly suffering, preventative mental health care is a real thing. Yes. Um, and I think could help prevent a lot more challenges as we navigate some of these disparities that have just arisen. I think you're right on point. Mm -hmm. uh, our families need to know that this is not a unique situation, that their child is not alone. This is yes. a national crisis. But is. I think more importantly is that <clears throat> our Lower Eastern Shore needs to acknowledge the fact that mm -hmm we have a mental health crisis we here do. as well. Agreed. And we're gonna to try to address it. Great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. <laughs>
What have you and your social workers found to be the major causes of mental health trauma in the students that you see? Oh, such a loaded question. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely the lack of education. And because we live on the Eastern Shore, there is this thought process that not in our town, or if you've heard NIMBY, not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So NIMBY comes from Mental Health Alliance, but it, it's the thought or philosophy that it, it has to be somewhere else, it can't be here. Mm -hmm. So looking at the situation of mental health is everywhere and with it everyone, it's about how you manage your mental health. We all have mental health, mm -hmm. whether it's positive or negative strategies that you use to cope. Wow. Wow. So what are some of the trauma behaviors that you and your social workers have seen acted out by students on school grounds? I hear this all the time. The kids are just literally wilding out. So mm -hmm. what are some of those trauma mm -hmm. behaviors that you're able to detect? Yeah, excellent question. So what we see in social media can sometimes be sensationalized. Mm -hmm. So. For those of us who are accustomed to dealing with the behaviors or acting out and result of mental health, inappropriate coping mechanisms, mm -hmm. what we can see ranges from students who are very calm, mm -hmm. refusing to engage, academic um, success begins to decline, or just they will not participate. Mm -hmm. And then you have what you tend to see on social media or the news, is that the students who are physically violent, students who are destructive of property, but it runs that gamut. It can be things that um, fall under the radar mm -hmm. and things that are screaming in your face, I need attention. Yeah, yeah. I hear a lot of stories about the, the children really uh, acting inappropriately, especially in a school setting, coming from the virtual world into mm -hmm. the in person world. So do you believe social emotional training would be a worthy investment? And when I say that, I'm, I'm referring to anyone who is currently working with and genuinely cares for students who are unfortunately going through a mental health crisis. Absolutely, but let me take a step back okay. about the behaviors because yes. when we see the maladaptive behaviors, let me clue you into just one a tip of the trade. Those students who have the quiet or under the radar behaviors, those are the ones that we have the most concern. Because although maladaptive, a student who's physically aggressive or destructive of property, mm -hmm. they have a coping mechanism that is outright telling you, I need help and I need attention. Right. Those students who haven't developed that mechanism are the ones who are the most who we are most concerned with because they're gonna be overlooked and fly under the radar, as we say. Wow. But that social-emotional piece that you ask about for the learning, mm -hmm. is it valuable? That's just learning to live life. Yes. So we, it's a catchphrase mm -hmm. or a hot topic. You know, social-emotional, it's life and learning to live with what opportunities and obstacles may be presented before you. Mm -hmm. So when we say social-emotional, it's response to everyday life. We take for granted that our children know how to play and engage with each other. Mm -hmm. If you look at how the generations have changed over the years, it's moving more inside, playing video games, watching TV, looking at your phone. So we've lost that ability to interact with each other. So it's going back to the foundation or basic skills. How do I engage with you as a human being as opposed to how do I send a text message or a post mm -hmm. that is anonymous? 
It could be from anyone, but when I say something to you in person, that's the social emotional piece because there's a connection. There's that need and desire to be understood and acknowledged and it's a lot more, it's easier to be anonymous mm -hmm. on the internet mm -hmm. than for me to engage in person with you. Mm -hmm. So this, this goes from the interaction from the teachers, the counselors, to the actual family members. Absolutely. We need to have that in-person interaction as opposed to sending emails or text mm -hmm. where there, you don't have that interaction. Yes, that is the foundation of social-emotional. Mm -hmm. We're all entitled to our emotions. Yes. It's what you do with them. Yes and how you react or reaction or proactive behavior. It's, I know this person's gonna make me upset because we've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. But how do I prepare myself? Because I already know the outcome of their behavior, so how do I control or manage my own behavior? And that goes back to the coping mechanisms and behavioral response. I, I, I wanna get to the parents, okay? and let the parents, the caregivers, the grandparents know that the Wacomico County Public Schools has support personnel on board mm -hmm. in the schools. Tell us a little more about the engagement that takes place there in the schools. Boy, oh boy. I, I'm like trying to contain my smile <laughs> because mental health has progressed so much over just the last five years. Let me tell you who we have in school that are licensed or certified to provide mental health services. We have your licensed social workers. Okay. They can provide therapeutic services to your IEP or special education population. Also general education. So whole school connect with your social worker to find out what resources are available in your school and outside of your school. We have school counselors, traditionally known as guidance counselors. They manage the academic portion, helping, to, helping parents and caregivers understand how does the social emotional piece affect the academic outcome. And then you have student advisors looking at the whole population and whole person. How does a student engage in their current population of elementary school, middle school, or high school? And then you have community coordinators. That's a new element to our local schools. They're looking at bringing the community into the school, looking at our faith-based partners, our mm -hmm. community partnerships, linking and networking, mm -hmm. making sure that we're on target with each other and uh, being aware of what's going on in the community so that we can then ad adjust and respond in the schools. And we also have our pupil personnel workers. They are our true boots on the ground because they are out in the community each and every day in the homes helping parents with registration and transportation. So when you look at Wicomico County Public Schools and you think about the holistic approach, mm -hmm. we're there and we're ready. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and your insight and also to just reflect on the experiences that you're having on the front line. Thank you so much. Thank you. This brings us to a close for show number one. Please listen out for our November broadcast where we will feature career and technical education opportunities for students interested in pursuing the high paying skill trades. Remember, education is everybody's business.